0: So there's there's an amazing word in the English language, and that word is supreme. And I looked up the definition of that, um, and it's uh, superior to all others. That's what it means to be supreme, superior to all others. Synonyms are highest ranking, chief, head, top, foremost, principal, superior, premier, first, prime. But i got to be honest, when I think about the word supreme, what I really think about is this. Uh, and, And we know that this is not just any pizza this is the premier, top, foremost, chief, highest-ranking pizza. This is the supreme pizza. Um, isn't it interesting that in our world, we've taken a word that has such a, a rich and vast meaning. This is like the, the word of all words, and we've taken it and applied it to food, okay? Uh, there's something to that, but... Um, but I think about supreme pizza, and, and it's supreme because it has everything on it, right? And that's truly, it's, superior, it's a superior pizza. But you may order a supreme pizza and then realize that you don't like olives. Uh, you know, Lord help you if that's the case. But you may realize that you don't, and so you just pick those olives off. And maybe I don't like, uh, maybe I don't like peppers, so I just pick the peppers off, and I pick the mushrooms off. And, and pretty soon, as you start taking the things off the pizza that you don't like, pretty soon it's not a supreme pizza anymore, it's just a plain old pizza. So my kids love uh, cheese pizza, which I refuse to buy because that's not a pizza. You know? And so, and so we'll, get, we'll get pepperoni or whatever, and they'll pick the pepperoni off until all you're left with is this soggy piece of cheesy bread, and that's not uh, a pizza, and it sure isn't supreme. All right? Um, we try to do this with Jesus. So we love the idea of Jesus. Jesus. But there's some radical claims that Jesus makes that make us uncomfortable. And so we want to pick and choose what we're going to accept about Jesus. We try to pick and choose what we're going to embrace about Jesus, what we're going to believe about Jesus. And so uh, maybe I'm not with this whole love your enemy thing, and so I try to take that topping off. I want Jesus except for that part. Maybe we're not uh, all about the whole radical generosity and and investing our lives in something bigger than ourselves. And and so we try to take that topping off. Maybe I don't like the uh, be holy as I am holy part and I would prefer live any kind of way I want to live and ask God to bless it. And so I try to take that topping off. But the thing is, before long, what we've done is we've created a God in our own image. And that God can't save you. That God cannot transform you. That God cannot make you new because it's a God that you or I made up. Uh, Jesus isn't pizza. That may be the most significant thing I I say today. Jesus isn't pizza. We can't just pick and choose what we trust and believe about him. Once you start doing that, we've gone down a whole other road. So Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians today. In your New Testament, if you find Galatians, then Ephesians, then Philippians, and in Colossians. This is one of Paul's prison letters. He wrote this ancient city, Colossae, located in modern-day Turkey, while he was in prison. Why is he in prison? He's in prison because he believes and he proclaims that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is first. Jesus is best. Jesus is superior to all others. His is the name above every name. This message was a threat to the Roman world. It was scandal to the Jews it was foolishness to the gentiles and this gospel proclaimed by Paul proclaimed all the way down all the way to us today in Nolan County America is that God himself has come to us in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and done for us what we could never do for ourselves he went to the cross and took our penalty upon himself died a sinner's death overcame death by being resurrected by rising from the grave bringing about reconciliation. He's reconciled wandering and rebellious people to himself, and and in response to that amazing grace, um, we're called to faith and surrender. Colossians, chapter 1. Paul writes to Colossians to urge them into this truth, to hold on to this truth that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is best. Jesus is first. Live that way. That's what he's trying to communicate to the Colossians and us. Don't just believe that he is Live as though he is. Paul writes the Colossians from prison. And he's in prison for testifying that Jesus is supreme. And the, the, the message that he writes from prison testifies that Jesus is supreme. No matter what. No matter where. No matter when. Even if you're in prison for, for proclaiming Jesus. Uh, so so Paul is, is in prison for proclaiming that the Jesus is supreme. Nobody, gets, nobody suffers for saying Jesus is a great guy. Nobody's going to laugh at you if you say Jesus is a great guy. But you say Jesus is alone supreme. Jesus is first. Uh, you may suffer for that. Nobody is saved by saying Jesus is a great guy. You're saved by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And nobody is transformed by believing Jesus is a great guy. Everybody believes that. But you're transformed as you trust and treasure supremely that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is supreme. The believers at Colossae were, were buying into these false views of God that permeated their culture. We have some things in common with them. There were these false, warped views of God that were permeating the culture around them and they were buying into those and because they were believing warped things about God, guess what happened next? They start living warped lives. When we believe warped things about God, we live warped lives. And so Paul writes this letter to them and all the way down to us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the supreme one, the true one, the first one. And, and the Colossians aren't just confused about the gospel and about Jesus, they're confused about Paul. They're saying, man, if this gospel that Paul preaches is true, and if Jesus is so good, how come Paul's locked up all the time? Dude, how come you're suffering all the time if this is such a great message? And, and so Paul is writing... And he's saying uh, that, that Jesus, because Jesus is supreme, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to suffer. But because Jesus is supreme, that makes all suffering worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Uh, it was worth going to prison for, for Paul. Jesus is first. He's worth it. And so because Jesus is first, your life only makes sense when you put Jesus first. Because Jesus is first... My life only makes sense when I put Jesus first. And so, and so what, what happens with us is we're trying to uh, maybe have relationships or status or wealth or whatever it is, and we're putting it in that first slot, ourselves, and we're wondering, why is my life so messed up? I mean, I go to church when I don't have other things to do, and I pray when, I, when I'm desperate. I mean, why isn't my life better? And, and, and the question is, is Jesus first in my life, or do I just say that? Okay, Because Jesus is first, your life is only going to make sense when we put Jesus first. So today, again, the first Sunday in Advent, the season where we, we're preparing our hearts for Christmas. We're remembering that Christ came 2,000 years ago, was incarnated among us 2,000 years ago. We're reminded and, and looking forward to his return, and we're looking around uh, to, to, to sense his presence in a fresh way in our midst And as we walk through Advent the next few weeks, we're going to talk about recognizing Jesus. And I appreciate Logan, uh, great house for that uh, recognizing Jesus idea. Uh, The first thing, the primary thing to recognize about Jesus is that Jesus is supreme. He is unrivaled. He is unparalleled. He is first. And the Colossians had to be reminded of that. They have to be reminded of the same thing Matt has to be reminded of and the same thing you have to be reminded of. If our lives are going to make sense, if we're going to be rescued from our destructive patterns that are destroying us, if we're going to grow in faith, hope, and love, what we need to know uh, more than anything else is that Jesus is central. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is first. So we're going to read Colossians 1 beginning in verse 15. And this is an ancient, most, most scholars believe this was an ancient poem or an ancient hymn, an ancient praise song that Paul is quoting and inserting into this letter. This is what the kids were singing in youth group 2,000 years ago. And Paul is, is pointing to that, that hymn, that poem, that song, that praise song. And he's saying, I want to remind you who Jesus really is. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. "...for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him." Notice, all the times Paul is going to use the word all and every and everything, and what he's communicating to us is that Jesus is supreme every, in every second and every place in every molecule of this universe. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The first thing I'd like for you to see from that passage is that when you look at Jesus, you see God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Um, And so uh, Jesus said it this way, he says, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So when we're barreling down the highway and, and our minivan is packed, you know, our youngest kids sit, sit up in that, in that front row of the minivan, and they think that just because we're facing forward, we can't see them. But I know an age-old trick that every parent and grandparent and great-grandparent knows, and that is the power of that rearview mirror, right? That I can, that I can tilt that, you know, when, when you tilt... Kids, when you see your, your folks tilt the rearview mirror down, it's time to get serious, okay? And so when when dad tilts that rearview mirror down, they're back there like, you know, and they don't think I can see them. They think they are invisible. But I look and I can see their reflection in that mirror, and I see exactly what's going on, And and, and there's a lot of people in this world with this vague idea that there's a God out there somewhere, and... And we're finding here that Jesus is his reflection. Jesus is the image of him. You want to know who God is. You look at Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father. John 1 and here in Colossians 1, it's clear that Jesus has always been God. He will always be God. He has always been co-eternal, co-equal with his Father from all eternity. As we look at Jesus, all of our images and ideas about who God is get turned upside down. This is why Jesus got crucified, by the way, was because nobody would have invented a God like him. Nobody would have invented a God like him. The longer you stare at Jesus, you come to see that God is a God of unconditional, self-sacrificing, generous love. And that word image is important. He's the image of the invisible God. It takes us back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, where God creates humans, and he calls us the image bearers of God. We're created in his image. See, we were intended to show the world, to show the universe who God is. And we failed miserably at that. Because we tried to make the story all about us rather than all about him. We, our worship turned inward. It became idolatrous. We got warped. We, we became a mess. And, and, and Jesus, though, is the true image. He is the perfect image of God. He is God in the flesh. He's the pattern. He's the fullest and the most perfect picture of God we could ever see. When you look at Jesus, you see God. That's what image here means. But it's also taking us back to Genesis 1. When you look at Jesus, you see who you were created to be. When you look at Jesus and his intimacy with the Father, his unconditional love for others, his his obedience unto death, even the death of a cross, that is the kind of faith, that's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of person you were created to be. When we look at Jesus, the image of the invisible God, we see God, but we also see who you were called to be. And this is the, the lie of sin. Sin says, that sin, sin says that it has the, uh, the, 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 the answer for who we are. Sin promises to make us who we were meant to be. How many times do we stay in a, a wicked relationship or a, a, a habit, a, an addiction, and we just say, well, this is just who I am? Sin has this lie that says, um, uh, you're just doing this because of this is who you are. But sin isn't who uh, shows us who we are. It's, it's, it's Jesus that shows us who we are. And, and sin tries to put itself in God's place in our lives. Uh, the lie of sin is that sin can give us life and give us meaning, but what sin does is it brings us death, and it brings us destruction, and it brings us sorrow. And we're going through life trying to pick off this topping of the pizza and trying to do things anyway. I'm going to give God every area of my life but this one, and that doesn't work. He is supreme or he's not in our lives. When you look at Jesus, you see who God is. When you look at Jesus, you see who God has created you to be. God's not going to stop with you until in your heart, your motive, your actions, uh, you reflect the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus is first in creation, is the next thing we're going to He's the image of the invisible God. And the first half of this poem or song talks about Jesus being supreme and first. In creation, over creation, and the second half is about how he's first and supreme over uh, new creation. But Jesus is first in creation. Uh, He's the firstborn, verse 15, of all creation. Uh, That word firstborn causes some people to stumble. Our Jehovah's Witness friends, our Mormon friends, they read that word firstborn and they say, aha, see, Jesus isn't really equal to God. He is created by God. They say he's under God. He's not equal to God. But this whole thrust of this passage is that Jesus is co-eternal and co-equal with God. The whole thrust of this passage is that Jesus is the, the creator. He always has been and always will be God. That word firstborn comes from the Greek word Prototokos. I see some droopy eyes, so maybe we need to say prototokos as as many times as we can fast. Jesus is prototokos. He's he's firstborn. That word prototokos is where we get our word prototype. And it can have the sense of time, like he's the first in time, but it can also have the sense of rank. He's first in rank. When when um uh, when, when Paul writes that Jesus is firstborn, he's not saying there was ever a time that Jesus wasn't. He's saying that Jesus is first in rank chief over all creation. He is the first and the head and the supreme over all things. And, and that word prototype uh, uh, it also implies that, that, you, that, that Jesus is the template for all of creation. He's what all creation and eventually each of us, if you know him, we're going to become conformed to that image. He goes on to say that all things were created in him and through him and for him. In other words, he's God. He's always been God. He'll always be God. And he's not just the architect of the creation. He's actually the template. He's the building plans of creation. We we spend a lot of time wrestling with what's God's plan for me, especially when it comes to what kind of job am I going to do, who am I going to marry, what college am I going to go to. What's God's plan? God's plan for you is that you're going to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that you're going to, like Cody said earlier, that you're going to love him and love people. That's the plan, and he's not going to stop. He's moved heaven and earth to make this possible, that you would become conformed, transformed into the image of Jesus in heart, character, action, power, love. That's why nothing less than Jesus is ever going to satisfy you. Nothing less than Jesus is ever going to satisfy you because you were made for Jesus. You were made by Jesus. And nothing less than Jesus is ever going to satisfy you. And life only makes sense when we put Jesus first. He's before all things, Paul writes. And in him, all things hold together. That's verse 17. He's before all things. He's first. And in him, all things hold together. Paul is saying that Jesus is holding this universe together right now. Otherwise, we would just explode. And that includes your life. Jesus holds you together. Not only is he creator, but he's also the sustainer who's holding you together. And when Jesus isn't supreme in your life, if Jesus is not supreme in your life, then the only thing holding you together is you. How's that working? If Jesus is not supreme in your life, I'm not talking about on the list of top most important things to you. I mean unless Jesus is supreme in your life, the only thing holding you together is you. And I'll let you answer how that's working. He's the first in creation. He's the first in new creation. Uh, Paul says in verse 18, uh, he is the head of the body of the church. We're going to come back to that. He goes on to say, he is the beginning. Again, he's the beginning. We're back with Genesis language. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Paul's saying that Jesus is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. What's he saying? Not only is Jesus Lord over creation that happened uh, however long ago, but Jesus is Lord over new creation. He did something. Something changed. When Jesus went to the cross gave his life on the cross in our place, and then overcame death by resurrecting from the dead, he inaugurated, he began a new day. He's the firstborn from the dead. And all those who know him are going to follow behind him. Uh, And he goes on to say, all the fullness of God dwells in him. So he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the one that has gone through the cross, passed through into the new world, brought about new creation. He's called us out of the old and into the new. You know, and if Jesus isn't supreme in our life, then this life is all there is. If Jesus isn't supreme in your life, then this is as good as it gets. All the fullness of God dwells in him. That that word dwell takes us back to the Old Testament and how God's presence, God's glory, dwelled on the temple. And now... Paul is saying that the place where God's glory dwells, the place where we see God, the place where we meet God, is in the crucified and risen and ascended Son of God, Jesus. That's where we can dwell forever. Again, look at how many times Paul uses the word all or everything. He lays claim to every molecule of this universe. C.S. Lewis put it this way, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Every square inch, every split second of this universe and of your life has been claimed by God, but it's been counterclaimed by Satan. And God, in the middle of this war for you, your family, your heart, God has given you this incredible choice. Will you recognize Jesus as supreme, or will he just be on your list of good things? Jesus is first in the church. Back there at the beginning of verse 18, Paul writes Jesus is head of the church. To say that he's head of the church is another way to say that Jesus is supreme in the church. He's first in the church. It's interesting where Paul places that because remember the structure of the song. Over here you've got Jesus is supreme in creation. Over here you've got Jesus is supreme in new creation. And right there in between at the beginning of verse 18 where everything changes you've got Jesus is the head of the church. That's because the church, the the people of God are who stands on that bridge between the old and the new. You, if you know Jesus, you have been made new. You're part of the new creation even though you still live in the midst of the old. And we have this awesome privilege and responsibility of demonstrating to those still stuck in darkness what it means to live in the light. The, 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 the church occupies the space where the old and the new over, overlap. And, and when Jesus is first in your life, you become part of this new people. That's who the church is meant to be, and that's why the church is often so dead. That's why we, we look for any reason to do anything else besides be part of the people of God. So many people's experience isn't the experience that Cody shared earlier. So often the church is dead is the, is because even though we're with our lips saying that Jesus is first, with our lives we're saying something completely different. What would it look like if we actually believed this? So the thing is, Jesus is supreme. No matter what I believe, no matter what you believe, Jesus is supreme. He is first. That's objectively true. There's nothing any of us can do to change it. So I could take my supreme pizza, I could pick all the toppings off and say, this is a supreme pizza, but that does not change what a real supreme pizza is. Okay? I could pick my toppings off, but that doesn't change the picture on the wall. That's the real thing, okay? And so Jesus is supreme whether I acknowledge that or not. It's objectively true. But what? And and, and I could pick all the toppings off all day long, but that doesn't change who Jesus is. But when he does actually become supreme in my life. When that subjectively becomes true for me, that I embrace Him as supreme, I follow Him as supreme, I follow in my face before Him, something does change. I change. My life changes. When I, when I respond to Him with surrender, you know, I think about the rich young ruler. And I think about this guy who had it all. And, and, and most of us, whether we think we can or not, most of us can relate to this rich young ruler. He had it all. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, what, what more do I need to do? And Jesus, remember, tells him, sell all you have, give it to the poor. And, and, and he's made an idol, apparently, of his wealth, and he walks away really sad because he had it going on. He had a lot uh, in, in his bank account and his 401K and all that kind of stuff, and he walks away sad. And the thing about the rich young ruler is he's is scared of what he would lose if he recognized Jesus as supreme. And he has no idea what he would gain if he recognized Jesus as supreme. And we can call ourselves Christians, we can sit in church until the cows come home, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is supreme in our lives. And uh, the, the reality is a lot of us are so terrified of what it would look like for Jesus to be supreme. So we're holding on to old. We're holding on to our wealth. We're holding on to our habits. We're holding on to our addictions. We're holding on to relationships. We're holding on to sinful patterns because we're afraid of what we would lose if we truly recognized Jesus as supreme. And we have no idea what we would gain if we recognized Jesus as supreme. So how would my life look if Jesus was first? The primary truth of this passage is that Jesus is primary. The primary truth of this passage is is, is that that Jesus is first. And, And the primary struggle in my life, and I'm guessing probably yours, is idolatry. We try to make something else first that was never designed to be first. We try to follow something else that can't save us. But what the gospel does is it brings my wandering heart back to God. What the gospel does is it reorients my heart away from idols and back to God. And so as that happens, as Jesus is first in my life, not just a statement that I agree with, but is actually in my heart, in my life, as Jesus is first, my relationships change. Hang with me a couple more minutes. My relationships change. My relationship to God changes in in, in terms of What do I worship changes? Worship is no longer a a card that I punch on days that I don't have something better to do. Worship is the whole reason I exist. I want to give God glory in everything that I do. My relationship to other people changes when Jesus is first. My witness changes. Suddenly, I'm not following people around, begging for their approval and willing to do whatever it takes to get it, but I know that God has called me to be a witness for who he is. God's made you to be a witness, and so just a quick question. If you were to survey your five or six closest friends, what is your life's witness right now? What message are you sharing, not with your words, but with your life? And and finally, our relationship with, with stuff changes. My relationship to wealth is transformed. Worship, witness, and wealth. Um, Now, I know preachers talking about money, right? I mean, who wants to listen to that? But Jesus says that there's a place where thief can break in and steal and moth and rust can can destroy. There's a place where thief cannot break in and steal and moth and rust cannot destroy. And if Jesus is first, that means he's first in my worship, not me. It means he's first in my witness and it means he's first in my wealth. And I don't exist so that I can accumulate a bunch of junk that I can't take with me. I exist so that I can invest in the kingdom of God. And so does your giving reflect that Jesus is first in your life? Or does it reflect that Jesus is one of the things that means something to you? What's your relationship to worship? What's your witness? What's your relationship to wealth? And so two words to hold on to from this passage. One, Jesus is sufficient. Two, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is first, and Jesus is enough. When you're in prison, when you don't have money to pay the bills, you're like, I'm, you're talking about wealth, I can't even pay the bill." When, when you don't know how to pay the bills, when relationships are bogging down, Jesus is sufficient, and Jesus is supreme, and so how do we respond to that? We respond by surrendering, surrendering. J.D. Greer shared a chart, and I'm gonna share a couple things from this chart, then we're gonna wrap up. People for whom Jesus is first versus people for whom Jesus is somewhere else on the list. One does whatever it takes. The other does only what I'm asked to do. Does that sound like your involvement in church? I'll do whatever it takes to get the mission done, or, well, if you ask me, I might consider doing that. One assumes personal responsibility. One assumes somebody else will do it. One expects personal sacrifice. The other expects personal comfort. One sees problems and seeks solutions. The other sees problems and complains. Sees possibilities and dreams about what could be. Sees barriers and reasons to quit. Steps out with bold, reckless trust in God. Sits satisfied in the stability of the institution. Fears holding anything back from God. Fierce commitment. If you're going to be afraid of something today, I hope you'll be afraid of spending another day holding back from God what's God's already. Because Jesus is first, your life only makes sense when you put Jesus first. As the band comes up, let's ask you to ask this simple question. Is Jesus first in me?